TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I just have this feeling that we're going to be very happy that you brought those heavy blankets with you today because I've got a bad feeling about this. Well, Chris, I'm very glad that we did, and uh, I'm also <laughs> glad that we uh, brought the bourbon. So. Well, we've got to have bourbon. Always got to have bourbon around. Yeah, I mean, it's five o'clock. Oh, no, it's past five o'clock here. So, yeah, we're good. <laughs> well, we're going to need it today as we talk about the episode Shuttle Pod 1 as we continue our 20th anniversary rewatch of Star Trek Enterprise. And here's a quick recap of the story. While on a mission to survey an asteroid field, Tripp and Malcolm come across some debris from Enterprise part of a launch bay door that was damaged during a rescue mission. Assuming that the Enterprise has been destroyed and that they are now stranded in deep space, the two begin working on a plan to get to safety, but they begin to spiral into despair, a little bit of disagreement, and some fun chatter as air runs low and they begin to doubt their survival. So, Matthew... Let me ask you this question. It's not the first item on the outline. However, in giving that synopsis, I started wondering, did they jump the gun in thinking that the Enterprise was destroyed in the first place? And is that the first thought that would have come into your head in that situation? You know, I, I don't know if it's the first thought, but I... I, I was thinking about this about the episode, you know, uh, because it is a really pivotal part of the episode itself, and it it doesn't seem all that odd to me that they would jump to this conclusion when one they aren't able to contact anybody, and two for them space is so big, and so you. To, to see that wreckage and and then think oh you know the, the enterprise is destroyed it, it I don't know it, it doesn't seem that implausible and I, I I've got to put myself in the mindset that this is you know this is them first venture out into the space so it, you right. know a more seasoned That's... person might not but you know for them this is this is definitely a first. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that if it happened to Starfleet officers in later Star Trek series, later on the timeline, yeah, they'd probably start trying to figure out what happened other than the ship being destroyed. Like, maybe theirs would be reversed. Like, surely the ship couldn't be destroyed, so what's going on here? And then try to unravel it that way. But for... Trip and Malcolm, yeah, I think it makes sense. And it's yet another way of highlighting here in season one the newness of space exploration for humans. But, oh, what a feeling, though. You look down there and you think, your ride is gone. And if you're Trip, you're thinking, oh, man, I'm just going to have to 
find my way to another planet, some kind of safety, while I listen to Malcolm wallow in despair all the <laughs> well, way, you know. <laughs> I love that you said that. It's like, uh, just, dude, where's my ride? Is <laughs> where they kind of are. But it, I, I do think it's really interesting because, you know, one of, one of the things about this episode is it is, you know, character study. And it really does kind of give us a taste of what these characters are like when facing death, like when when they know that the end is coming. And I think that's a really, you know, it, it makes for a really interesting opportunity to get a chance to know these characters in a way that we don't before. And obviously, you know, one of the things that uh, this is a budgetary thing, it allows them to bring down the cost of season one because – they don't have to pay a ton for this episode. So much of it just takes place on sets that already exists and there's not a ton of effects work. And so this allows them to be able to tell, I think, a really important story moving forward for these characters without breaking the bank. Right, right. Well, that's what stands out to me is that, like you said, they did this story to lower the overall budget of the season and I think it highlights something that often gets lost in modern television, which is that you don't have to just throw money at creative work all the time. Like every episode of a science fiction show does not have to have cinematic quality special effects going off every three minutes. This really shows how working with a limited budget, trying to figure out how can we tell a story and save money at the same time so that we can use that money for other stories within the season where we need to do it, particularly with it being season one of any show like this. They spend a lot of money on the pilot. That's always expensive. And the result is we get this wonderful character story. We get these great results from the writers and the actors and we don't need to spend a lot of money and there are no extras in here i think this is the only episode of star trek that has no extras at all it's just the main crew and we don't even see travis mm -hmm. so that, you know one of the main crew is not even on the screen at all and we just get these wonderful results well, and, and I think one of the fun things about this episode, kind of before, you know, so most of it takes place, you know, with, with Tripp and Malcolm. But one of the fun things I thought that they did in this episode was kind of flip the um, script with Paul and Archer in mm -hmm. that it's Archer now not believing in something that the Vulcans do, you know, so the, the idea of micro singularities, you know, humans think that's impossible and Vulcans don't, whereas, you know, Vulcans think time travel is impossible and humans don't. So I yeah. thought that was a really fun story element because they found a great way for the little bit that they're on screen to tell a fun story with those two characters that kind of like helps with their relationship and their banter without giving them a lot of time. And and so that was, a, I thought, one of the smartest things they did. And it's such a, a very small, you know, piece of the episode. Right. So now we can play a game, Matthew, 
Which is less plausible, <laughs> micro-singularities or time travel? Which one do you not believe in? Well, uh, you know, Chris, uh, the, the Vulcan Science Institute says that time travel is impossible. And apparently, I, I don't know what institute on Earth says micro-singularities are impossible. But I think Vulcans are what's impossible. So, how about <laughs> Vulcans that? are impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but they're right in front of you, Matthew. You can see the Vulcans. <laughs> they're right there. I still don't believe in Vulcans. No, nope. <laughs> what, a, what a timely story that would be for the world we're living in today. All right. Um, okay, well, l let's talk about Tripp and Malcolm a little bit, because the other thing that most stands out to me in this story, and I think it does for most viewers, is the fact that talking matters. This is the other thing that I think has kind of slipped away in Star Trek is that great things happen when you put two actors together on the screen and you let them talk to each other for an extended period of time. I, I mean, I don't know if I could say it better because the thing that drives many of the best Star Trek episodes of all time are conversations people having in a room. And what's interesting about that is that it really harkens back to movies from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, right? Where, mm -hmm. uh, especially the 40s, where you're not having a large amounts of special effects in films because it's not possible and the cost, obviously. So really, movies are about people talking in rooms. And... I think this really helps us understand how, you know, it's one of the reasons theater works too, right? You can have a fantastic right. play with very minimal sets if you have incredible actors delivering great dialogue and diving into the human condition. And that's what's so great about this episode is that it gives us an opportunity to explore the human condition and what people are like when they face the ultimate of humanity the 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 thing that defines us which is that our lives do end and and how do we face that and you know Malcolm and Trip are two completely different characters who look at the world differently and so to have them in this kind of like titanic struggle together and kind of find a way through discussion to a place where they understand one another better and they appreciate one another more and have a better respect for one another is phenomenal. And, and in many ways, I mean, like, isn't that what makes Star Trek so important is the ability for us to have a conversation with someone that we might not agree with and hopefully in the end come away with a better understanding and like you said, that's something that's kind of been lost because it feels like the storytelling today is so much more about like telling us what we should think about a thing. And instead of allowing right. characters yeah. to come together and be able to move in a different direction without necessarily saying one or another character is like wrong. And, th and that's something that this episode doesn't do either. It just allows both of the characters to be who they are. And it's not really judging either one, but it just allows us to be a part of their lives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there is earlier Star Trek 
TOS, TNG, where I suppose the narrative of the story tells us what we're supposed to think about a situation, because that's what you and I love about DS9 is they got away from that and they started showing you the gray and different characters having different viewpoints, different things happening, and you not always, or different viewers not always coming away with the same lesson from the story, right? So in that sense, stories have been like that before, like telling us what we're supposed to think. But like you're talking about modern Star Trek and other TV as well. Again, I hate to keep coming back to it because we keep coming back to it, but the short nature of the seasons these days, I think, create a lot of this problem where we don't get to sit down with the characters like this and the story is just dragging us along. And you hear fans a lot these days talking about, well, we don't know anything about this character or this character or the bridge crew on Discovery, for example. And a big reason is because we don't get stories like this one where right. there's, I started to say there's nothing big at stake. There is something big at stake, of course. They might both die. So that's pretty big. But in the big scheme of life in mm-hmm. the galaxy, right? there's nothing big at stake. It's just right. for the two of them. Well, when and the stakes are much more understandable for us as human beings. Like we can relate to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like universe ending like things to which, you know, you don't really have time when the universe is about to end in 20 minutes to have long, deep conversations. And, and I think, you know, that's what makes this so beautiful is that they have nothing but time until they die. Like there's nothing for them to be doing. And, and so that's that's the that is the kind of the titanic struggle is how they're going to both spend that time and whether or yeah. not that they're going to kill each other before they get there <laughs> <laughs> well i think the ability to relate to the characters in the situation is important and then the things that they talk about mm-hmm. are things that we can also relate to and for me the reason one of the reasons I love Star Trek and it's been an important part of my life and it has shaped who I am for 49 years now is that when characters sit down and talk to each other, and we get, we got this a lot in the original series with Kirk, Spock, and Bones in particular, especially Kirk and Spock talking to each other. We got it with Picard a lot in The Next Generation and and many other characters throughout the franchise, they talk about things that we experience in our own lives and therefore we can relate to those things and they talk about them at length and it makes us think about the same questions. How would we react in a situation like Tripp and Malcolm find themselves in here? What would we think reflecting back on our lives? What would we think about past relationships with friends or family or lovers or how would we feel if we knew we were near the end and we're, we have regrets or we're thinking about things in a positive way? Who knows? But just the fact that we're able to do that watching this story is what stands out to me is highlighting why the story is loved by fans so much, why it's largely considered to be the best episode of season one by many people. And it tends to get the highest ratings when you ask people to rate episodes. 
Well, and I, I think part of that too is that fans love knowing more about characters. Yeah. Because that's how we grow to love them. Like if we don't know anything about them, it's hard to really love them. You know, I, I was, you know, doing the interview for literary tracks with Alex White and we were talking about Deep Space Nine because, you know, he wrote the, the book Revenant about Dax and new book. One of the hallmarks of Deep Space Nine is, is its characters and how much we know yeah. about so many of the characters. And I think that's kind of what makes this this type of episode special is because you come away from it and you feel like oh i understand and know who malcolm is in a way that i didn't before and this episode has also kind of reinforced a lot of things that we knew about trip but at the same time i think also shown us some things we didn't know one of the things I love that we learn about him is that, you know, he was legitimately willing to sacrifice his life so that Malcolm could live because that's mm-hmm. what he thought was, you know, uh, he didn't want to take up any more air in the room. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and I thought, you know, that's, that's a small thing, but it also just kind of lets us know who this character is. And, and moving forward, that is going to be really important for the how this character grows because we're going to see him in a lot of situations where he is going to have to put his life on the line. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was the, one of the things that really just, it, again, it's one of those small little nuggets you pick up on, but it helps mm-hmm. you know that character better. Yeah, it's making me think also about how in season one, the characters were learning how to be space explorers, how to be Starfleet officers, because Trip's response to the situation is more in line with what we're accustomed to for Starfleet officers. We've seen earlier in the season Hoshi's fear of being in deep space, and now we're seeing it in Malcolm as well. Maybe not a fear of being in deep space in general, but a fear of being in a situation where he really doesn't have much control over what's happening to him, and it's a life or death situation. And digging deeper, unpeeling Malcolm here, as we do in this episode, in that situation, we see kind of pessimism and sorrow take over his thoughts and his actions in a way that we don't generally see from Starfleet officers. And that is another highlight of the growth of humanity, I guess, into that Star Trek future, which again makes this a great prequel series. And it does it through, although this episode is quite loved by fans, that, that element of Mm-hmm. putting the characters into situations and having them react in real human ways is not always popular with fans. Right. Because it's counter to what they expect from Star Trek, but mm-hmm. necessary to get from where we are now to that future that we've known from the other series. You know, I think one of the beauties of the the episode here is, like you said, getting to know Malcolm more. And and I really like that you point out the, the sorrow and, and kind of pessimism that he has and, and that that does take over. And the root of why that's there in his life 
is because he has found himself unable to open up and connect with people. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he all the letters he's sending to these women, he talks to Trip and he confesses that the reason it really didn't work out didn't have anything to do with them. It had to do with him. You know, it's not you. Mm-hmm. It's me. It literally was yeah. Malcolm. Um, and which may not be true, but he feels that way. Right. Right. And but yeah. I, I think that the show has kind of has given us this character and, and we've seen this from, you know, when uh, we talk to his parents and he's not close to them. And, yeah, right. you know, yeah. his his siblings don't really feel close to him either. And I, I think Malcolm confesses something about himself here that that being this close to death has allowed him to see. And it will be interesting to chart now. Does Malcolm begin to open up to people more? Does he begin to rectify this situation to which he comes face to face with here when he's looking at death and he's writing these, quote unquote, writing these letters, talking these letters to people? They're all filled with remorse, basically, Mm -hmm. that he's not closer to anybody than he is now. And I think that's one of the beauties of this is that this episode gives us a real interesting psychology of a character. And that psychology uh, is something that many people struggle with the, the ability Mm -hmm. to open up, but it also shows us two men who, who move closer to one another in relationship as friends because of breaking down those barriers to which, there are many men who do find it difficult to share these type of things. Not all men. Some men, it, it, you know, they have no problem with sharing their emotions, uh, you know. But you do have some that this is more difficult for. And Malcolm is very much that type of guy. You know, Trip, you know, seems pretty comfortable with sharing his emotions and wearing his heart on his sleeve for the most part. So that's what makes this so fascinating is putting these two characters together. And I, I do love that mm-hmm. we see that remorse in Malcolm. And I think by the end of the episode, we obviously see characters who going forward, they're going to be closer friends. And and what's great about this is it kind of mirrors the beauty of the relationship between Bashir and O'Brien, where they're two guys who didn't really like each other in the beginning. And by yeah. the end of the series, they are kind of best friends. And I, I think that's a really healthy thing, one, to see. And two, it's one of the reasons why I love their relationship so much here in Enterprise. And this is one of my favorite episodes because this is where it begins. Right. Yeah. All good points. And you mentioned, will he begin to change after this? And I think that's a key is begin to change because the reality is this is who Malcolm is. So even though he had this experience, he's not going to come back to the ship and like flip a switch and suddenly get close to people easily, right? He, he can't really do that, but the experience can help push him to start to recognize this in himself and and become closer to the crew because to this point, he has been a rather standoffish person. And you mentioned meeting his parents as we did a few episodes back during the search for pineapple. And it's easy to see where growing up in that situation might affect him in this way. It's also interesting in the story to me that he chooses to write to people who he really barely knows when he's on his deathbed, 
because he isn't really close to anyone. He's mm-hmm. these women. Yeah, the relationships didn't work out, but it it's in most cases I took it to mean these are women he dated. They're not women that he was in right two five year relationship, ten year relationship with, and it didn't work out. These are just you know it's Ruby from the six hundred two club or people like that, mm-hmm. and so he really did not form a lot of close relationships. The other thing that I was thinking of when you were talking is that that un- unauthorized guide that we sometimes reference here on the show where they write their comments about the episodes and often we find the comments to be odd. For this one, they once again said, oh, here's another case. They liked the episode, but they said, here's another case where the writers seem to be desperately trying to figure out who Malcolm Reed is. But actually, I don't see it that way at all. I think the writers know exactly who he is, and they're revealing that here. And if anything, maybe Malcolm is trying to figure out who he is and why he feels this way when he's on his deathbed, it would appear. Mm-hmm. He he obviously has regrets about who he is and mm-hmm. his life up to this point, and so, yeah, Malcolm trying to figure out who he is might be a better way of looking at it rather than writers 17 episodes into a series not knowing who their character is, which I think I, is not yeah. the case. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and part of that is because I think this episode harkens back to everything that they've shown us about Malcolm already and then just mm-hmm. builds on that and gives yeah. us even more of that. And and that's where that regret comes from. And you know, I think it shows that the writers were paying attention to what they had been doing previously so that this makes perfect sense with what they give us here for Malcolm. And, and it's a it's a good reveal. And, and, and again, you just come away from this episode like we already kind of figured we knew who Trip was, but this just accentuates that. But this really lays the cards on the table for who the character of Malcolm is. And, you know, I, I think... One of the things I, I also really love about the episode, and I'm sure people might roll their eyes at this, but one of the things we see here is that M- Malcolm's bravado and bluster with the ladies is covering up for his inadequacy that he feels and his inability to feel connected to people. Right. And I, I think that that's something that the the show here in this episode really shows us is that regardless of all these relationships he's had, they've all been hollow because they've Mm -hmm. lacked the one thing that all relationships truly need, which is the ability to be in harmony with another person to, to be emotionally vulnerable with another person so that you could feel that connection that, that goes on longer than just anything that pleasure brings. I mean, I think that that's really nice to see here because, yeah, I mean, that life isn't one that's fulfilling. And Malcolm kind of shows that that life isn't really one that's fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. So the other key thing here, we've talked about this in a number of episodes where we see the crew as a whole or members of the crew learning to work together a bit more. What do you think about this episode in terms of of that? The primarily, of course, Trip and Malcolm trying to figure out how they might, even though 
Well, in the end, they do find a way, but they they struggle to find a solution, but at least they're starting to work together. And then we talked earlier about Archer and T'Pol and what they've got going on there. But just learning to work together, learning to be Starfleet officers and find a solution. And here we have two very different people. Imagine if this were Archer and Trip trapped in the shuttle pod together. The entire situation and search for a solution and the mood would have been quite different. Yeah, I, I you know, Trip is somebody who just, <laughs> to quote another movie, never give up, never surrender. That That's his motto, mm-hmm. right? He, he, he's an and, engineer. Yeah. You can always find a solution, right? Exactly. And he's always going to keep working um, because, two, it keeps his mind off the inevitable. Yeah. Because yeah. what else are you going to do? Are you going to wallow or are you going to be busy? And and Trip would rather be w- busy working with his hands. And he and Archer have that in common. And I think that's one of the reasons they are such good friends is they, they share a lot mm-hmm. of similar interests. But their drive is something that – and determination is something that they both uh, can't let go of. And it is fascinating here because – Malcolm on the other side, you know, he realizes, oh, we're probably going to die. And he just kind of gives up, which is a very interesting thing for this character to kind of portray here. Like, and and to lay that, those cards on the table of like, once it seems hopeless, he can't find hope. Right. And he calls it realism. And I think, you know, what we've kind of more rightly pegged is it's, it's more of pessimism because there is honestly... There is still a chance that something happens. It's small, it's minuscule, right? If if they're really stuck out here by themselves, but it's not to say it couldn't happen. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about them working together and they find the solution. And I thought the solution was interesting because it's another one of those little nods to the original series that we get in Enterprise. I think of it as the Galileo one, because it's mm-hmm. similar to the solution in the Galileo seven. And it always reminded me of that anyway. So they, you know, they figure out that they're going to, they have this idea to jettison the impulse engine, mm-hmm. blow it up so that the Enterprise can see it, which uh, is another thing I've seen done in science fiction from time to time. Actually, well, I'm watching Lost in Space right now. The reboot Oh, yeah. Lost in it's Space. a great show. And there's a situation in there in the second season where they kind of do the similar thing. You know, they build a mm-hmm. fire. They're floating yes. and be able to fire to signal the ship. So these things always remind me of the Galileo 7. But but so they do that and they they find the solution. And you know, in the in the end, the Enterprise uh picks them up. But the one thing we didn't really talk about right now is that Malcolm so after they find the solution and, and they get back to the Enterprise and he meets Paul there but it's not quite the same to Paul that he's met during the situation she uh doesn't seem quite as fond of him <laughs> as she was in his dreams <laughs> yeah um I, you know i i think it's it's very funny because one you know the realism of this is again i'm sure people might roll their eyes but I, who hasn't had a dream about somebody that they they're somewhat attracted to i mean come on let's all admit it it's it's always it's happened to everyone but also too 
even just the conversation that happens between Malcolm and and uh, Trip, you know, uh, two drunk guys talking about women happens all the time as well. But I do think it's funny because, you know, he vividly remembers that dream. And yeah, it's very different in real life. Um, And I think what was most fun about that scene was actually watching Jolene Blaylock get a chance to play against type there for a second um, with Zapal, which which is always great when the Vulcan characters uh, get a chance to show um, that kind of side to them. But I mean, I, I think, again, all of that kind of gives you an understanding of like who Malcolm is, where he is, and that turns out to be a great way to end the episode when reality is somewhat different than fantasy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the other thing I found interesting talking about Paul here is that Trip has no interest in her whatsoever, but we know that's going to change down the road. Well, what's what is kind of fascinating is that there is that thing that Trip deals with is the same thing that we kind of see Archer is that he sees the Vulcans as Vulcans first and and yeah. not necessarily is is, you know, men or women that he can get to know in different ways. And th- maybe this is the the moment where by having that conversation, maybe something does trigger in Trip's mind. But at the same time, too, she's his friend. Like we we mm-hmm. know now that they know kind of some intimate details about each other's lives. And for him, I th- I think there's that layer to this, which is, I think, really nice that this isn't just something where it's an automatic thing. Like they're growing mm-hmm. this relationship between these two characters. And, and obviously it is going to go somewhere really intense. But right now, I think it's 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 so well done that it makes sense that Trip would kind of feel this way for multiple reasons, and it's very yeah. much it's more true to his character um, yeah. than it would be if he had been like, "Oh yeah, I've thought of her like that all the time," you know, like that would just right. doesn't make sense from what we know of of who he is and you know his experience with yeah. Paul so far. Yeah, definitely. At this point in the series. This is what you would expect. Yeah, it's the reaction that is true to the character. And I think it reflects real life, though. You know, you, there are people that maybe at first you don't hit it off with somebody and then down the road you do. So mm-hmm. that's also real life. That's how humans work. All right. Well, any final thoughts on Shuttlepod 1? What's your rating for this one? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely difficult in the sense that I feel like to say anything revolutionary about this episode because it's just so good and you mm-hmm. know it it really is and and to me personally i would just it's five across the board um it's it's a phenomenal episode it's great character work both of the actors here are giving it their all uh, which is phenomenal and there is that small little moment that i i, I really kind of love and, it, and it, it's when trip and malcolm are talking about how old hoshi and mayweather are and they're like, mm-hmm. they, oh, man, they've ought to be, what, only 22, 23 years old? So you get this sense that there is this difference between the age of someone like Tripp, who's in his you know mid-30s, probably uh, same thing with Malcolm, and, and them thinking about the loss of that young life. Uh, yeah. And yeah. It, it, it really is. It's kind of it, – it, it's, it's, it's emotional. It's heartrending. And, and like 
I think it's just one of those small places where the writing is so good in this episode. So yeah, five out of five for me. Yeah. Yeah, I also don't have anything revolutionary to say about this episode other than it's one of my all-time favorites. And as I said at the top of our discussion, it just highlights you can do a lot without spending a lot of money. You don't need over-the-top visual effects all the time. And one of the best things that you can do as a writer is to put characters together and let them talk instead of blowing stuff up all the time. So I will you don't give have to blow episode. us up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give this one <laughs> 10 bottles of Dorton's best. All right. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on Shuttle Pod 1. If you'd like to share those with us, there are many ways to do that. The best way to join in the discussion is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field and it should come right on up. If it doesn't, type the whole name, the Babel Conference. It is a closed group, so if you would like to join, please answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum, and I can let you in. If you'd like to send us email, you can do that by going to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form there and choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And of course, you can find us in social media. On Twitter, our username is trekfm. That's also our username on Instagram. And everywhere in social media, and we would love to hear from you there. Now, Matthew, when you're not you know, figuring out what you'd prefer to have as your final meal aboard Shuttle Pod 1, before you're rescued and you get to see T'Pol looking down at you again, where can people find you? <laughs> well, uh, you could find me all over social media <laughs> under the name MattRushing02, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, you know, pretty much any place. Uh, if if you just type that in, you'll find me. Um, you can also find me here on the network. I'm on the whole other side of the network, the 602 Club, as we talk about uh, all of the fandoms we love outside of Star Trek. Uh, you know, obviously, so much Star Trek to talk about, but so much else to talk about as well. So the 602 Club is the place we do that. Uh, you can also find the bonus shows there of Assembling Avengers and Snyder Cuts as well in the same feed. Also, Literary Treks and The Orb. Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Mention that here on the show. And, of course, Chris, you and I, we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And super excited because as of this recording, we've got some new orbs out for you to check out. So, uh, And we're excited to be back talking about Deep Space Nine. And then, last but not least, over on the Nerd Party Network, you'll find me with Owlpost with Dre Kaufman. That's a finished show talked about... All of the Harry Potter chapters in the entire series, one chapter at a time. And then I'm talking Star Wars with my good friend John Mills over on Aggressive Negotiations. Now, Chris, when you're not down in a bottle of whiskey, where can people find you? <laughs> uh, you can find me sitting around seeing how long that candle will burn before I run out of oxygen. If you would like to talk Star Trek with me, however... There are many things going on. Of course, on the network, you mentioned the orb with Deep Space Nine. Uh, just last night, as we're recording this, last night, I published our first new episode of 2022. We're back talking about The Way of the Warrior. We've got new cover art as well. And we're looking forward to discussing DS9 together this year. And we dropped that on the 29th anniversary of the premiere of Deep Space Nine. And that was a great discussion. Of course, I pop in on literary treks from time to time. Larry Nemechek and I do the ready room now and then. 
and we have various other things going on. And if you'd like to find me on social media, my username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username everywhere in social media, but Twitter is where I'm most active and I'd love to hear from you there talking about Star Trek or college football or Japan or whatever you want to talk about. Be happy to chat with you there. Now, if you'd like to help us keep this show and the Orb and the 602 Club, which Ruby would really appreciate, and everything else going, we could definitely use your help through Patreon. To find out how you can help the network and get involved, visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to find out how. And I'd like to say thank you very, very much to everyone who is supporting us right now. We could not keep the network going without you. All right, Matthew. Well, you told me today that you believe that Vulcans are not real, but you'd better get ready for some jazzy Vulcans because they're coming aboard next time as we talk about fusion. Well, Chris, I do love me some jazz, so let's go.